Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Shall we pray? Our precious Heavenly Father, as we approach your Word, we do so with reverence and with humility, thanking you for the anointing of your Spirit to enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability in all things that pertain unto life and godliness. As the Word goes forth in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, it will be quickened within us so that we may walk as doers of the Word, not hearers only, and be living epistles of the living Christ, read and known of all men. Now we thank you, dear Father God, for receptive hearts, attentive minds, and open ears as we enter into thy Word in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Begin reading at 46, Luke 6, 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation, built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Well, what I want to do this evening is to continue our series, our lesson, on the blood covenant. The blood covenant. The teaching on the blood covenant is the most important teaching in the life of every individual believer after you're born again. If you want a strong faith life, you have to understand the blood covenant. Jesus said a wise man digs deep, digs deep into the Word and lays the foundation of his house upon a rock. We said we're all involved in building our own spiritual house or home. For we are the dwelling place of God. Aren't we the temples of the living God? In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, didn't Jesus say when he was asked for a sign, did he not say that I will destroy this temple and rebuild it within three days? And John said he was talking about the temple of our bodies. See, the project we're talking about is, and Jesus is talking about, is the house of God in the earth. Man no longer lives in earth-made holies of holies, but he lives in us. Didn't he say that I would be your God, you'd be my people, and your body would be the temple of the Holy Ghost? Didn't he say that? Well, if we're the temple of the Holy Ghost, if we are God's dwelling place, if we're building ourselves a house so that we can withstand the storms of life, and there are many, and also a house that our Father can live in and dwell in to be a vessel of honor, you see, us to be a vessel of honor, if we're building that house, don't you want that house to be built upon a secure foundation? On a solid rock? Well, we've come to the conclusion in our digging that the rock he's talking about is the blood covenant. Because of the fact, whenever anyone is engaged in a building project, before you start to dig and to do any work, you've got to have a signed agreement 
between both parties. And we said that the Father and Jesus sat down together and together they skillfully and carefully drew up the blueprints of our redemption to meet their specifications and every word written in this New Testament and if you include the Old Covenant every word from Genesis to Revelation is backed up by his life is backed up by a blood covenant so it's important we understand that we're building a spiritual house in Proverbs 24 it says and I'm just reiterating a few points verses 3 and 4 said it takes wisdom to build the house it takes understanding to establish the house and it takes knowledge to fill the house with precious and pleasant riches so we need wisdom we need understanding and we need knowledge and it's sad to say but there are many individuals in the body of Christ that do not receive good teaching proper teaching people rightly dividing the word of truth understanding the warfare we have between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness they think they're just here in the earth supposedly serving God and whatever comes our way is to be accepted readily if it's a death sentence if it's a sickness or if it's a disease or if it's calamity of any sort or if it's financial failure or destruction we're just supposed to accept that as the will of the Lord well if you were to get out your contract get out your covenant blood covenant contract book and look through the articles of that covenant you'd find out that that is not the will of the Lord you find out that the will of the Lord is totally different than that. If any of you here work in a place such as a mill or a corporation that has uh, given to their employees, uh, the labor union, certain benefits or certain privileges or certain rights, you will find out that they sat down together first and they negotiated a certain contract which would be agreeable both to the representatives of the corporation and also the union leaders, their representatives the people, the laborers. And after they came to a place of agreement and both said, this is what we want, and I'm sure that the you know, labor union tried to get all that they could, all the benefits that they could, then they sat down, presented that agreement to the body of workers. After they agreed, they presented it back to the corporation heads. They signed it, they sealed it, established it said it's now in force and the things that are written in this contract that's the will of the corporation heads and it's the will at this time of the labor union now when there's a problem and you need help you go to the book you find out what's yours you establish the will of the corporation if it's stated in there that that's what's yours then it's yours you don't have to go to the corporate heads and say, are you really willing to give this to me? I mean, you don't walk into a hospital when your wife's going to have a baby and she has that baby and it costs about $3,000 today. And then you walk over to the corporation and said, well, are you really willing to pay this bill for me? No. You looked inside that contract. You know what you have. You presented your union card and automatically it was taken care of. It was already the known, revealed will of the corporate heads. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed the contract. Well, why is it that we don't approach the Bible the same way? The Bible is based on two covenants, the Old and the New, primarily. 
The plan of redemption, I'll say, swings about both these covenants, the Old and the New Covenant. In the Old and New Covenant, we have the revealed will of God. It's revealed to us. If he did not want to give what he stated in his word, he would not have signed and sealed the covenant with the blood of the Lord Jesus. Well, we said that in the book of Proverbs, and you don't have to turn to these scriptures, but in the book of Proverbs, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are of more value than precious stones. And they're to be sought after in the individual's life. I mean, we're to seek for them as for precious stones, and we're supposed to have a stronger initiative, desire to have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the things of God so that we can appropriate our blessings accurately. Now, until we have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of our covenant relationship and the blood covenant contract that we have with the Father, we're going to have a very shallow faith life, and we're going to have an insecure foundation. That foundation will not be secure until one has a thorough understanding of the blood covenant. In your faith life, it will not be strong. It will be weak if you don't understand the blood covenant. Well, then why is it that we're not hearing this teaching? Why is it that, you know, this isn't of utmost importance in every assembly? Because we're in a warfare. And the kingdom of darkness is trying to do all that they can to keep this vital truth from being revealed. See, the corporation likes when someone doesn't know the contract. For an example, when I was working down the mill, I almost lost my two fingers. This is right after I got saved. I almost lost both my fingers. I was doing something I was not... I like the way they tell you to do this. I was doing something I was not supposed to do, but if I didn't do it, then the mill would have had to shut down. And they tell you, I'm telling you not to do that. But also, I don't want the mill to shut down. So here you are. Don't do that. But if you do it, if you don't do it, the mill's going to shut down. They're going to holler at you either way. They just say that to say that, but really they want you to do it. See, I was um, working on the furnace, and we were making big pipe, heavy pipe. And one of the billets was rolling down in front of the furnace, and I was responsible to kick him off into the furnace. Well, one of the billets fell off the rolls. And I walked over there, and sure enough, it was... You know, hung up over there, stuck, and I couldn't get it back onto the, to the rolls. Well, the thing weighs about 3,000 pounds. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> That's pretty heavy. And so what you're not supposed to do is you're not supposed to bar the billet while the rolls are on. Yeah, you're just supposed to walk over with one finger in a 2,500-degree furnace and just pick it up with one finger. 3,000 pounds all it weighs. What are you supposed to do? Well... To make a long story short, I went, I went over there and uh, didn't want to shut the furnace down, didn't want to shut the mill down, so I walked over there, you know, Joe Worker. You want to get things going, you know, praise God. You're just out there doing the best you can. That's a good attitude. I had that kind of attitude. But sometimes, you know, you've got to watch yourself because what I was doing in order to prevent the, the thing from shutting down was putting my life in danger. And I barred that thing while the rolls were on. And that thing, 3,000 pounds, I got that thing halfway up and it... The weight of it came back down, hit that bar, the bar hit against the roll, the roll swung through that steel rod like that there and smacked my two fingers before I, I didn't know what happened. But see, I, I had, there was a set of steel steps right over here and I had my two fingers just like that and it hit against my leg and it cushioned against my leg. Otherwise, if I'd hit, that bar would have hit him against that steel, probably would have just chopped him right off. 
but it's cushioned against my leg. Even my leg was black and blue. And uh, I had a glove on. I began to take that thing off, wondering if I had two fingers there. Well, finally I did. You know, I got the thing off, and I looked, and it was bad. Had to get my wedding band cut off, which wasn't, you know, did not thrill my beautiful wife back there. It wouldn't thrill you either. But uh, I had to do that, and like I said, to make a long story short, what I did was just said, thank you, Lord. At least I got my two fingers. I thought I'd never play my guitar again, but at least I got my two fingers. And it took a long time, but I never made a fuss about it. I never went to the union, never went to the company to try to get a co any compensation for it. You know, if you've got scars on your body from when you're working down the mill, they're going to compensate you for that, but I, ne I never did that. I just didn't go to them. You know, first of all, I didn't really, even though I could in the first place, because I didn't know my contract. So I just let the thing go. Now, being ignorant of my contract, see, I lost some work. I lost a lot of pay. Almost lost two fingers. Could not play my instrument. Damages were done. Really, legally, I had rights coming to me. But I didn't know my contract. I just forgot about it, didn't tell anybody about it, and just went on working. But someone maybe who had a little bit more wisdom than I did at that time knew about it, had you know, compensation coming to him. And if I would have enforced it, I'm sure I would have had some type of compensation coming to me. But I didn't. But that's how the body of Christ is today. It's signed. It's sealed with the blood of Jesus. God has given every good thing, every promise, every benefit, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places has been, made, has been made available to each and every individual believer. And this covenant is established upon better promises and benefits than I've ever heard of before. But yet they do not know what the contract says. They're always trying to find out whether or not it's the will of God. Well, I've got some good news for you tonight. You're going to know beyond the shadow of a doubt what God's will is concerning your life. And I mean without question. Had those two, the covenant, the corporate heads, and the union leaders, if they did not want what was in that contract, they would not have signed it. Correct? But since they said we want it, it's our will, this is what we want, it establishes their will, it locates them, that's what they have. It's signed, it's sealed, it's enforced. Now, when Jesus and the Father got together to, to do the same thing with the plan of redemption, all that he wanted for us was signed and sealed and enforced. I don't know if you got all these last time when, when we are giving them to you, but if you haven't, write them down tonight. Maybe you're new here, you didn't receive the last teaching. Write these down tonight. The reason why our foundation will be weak and our life of faith will be shallow is because, number one, the blood covenant is our contract with God. And when you got born again, the blood that seals the contract was applied to you. And you turned your life over to Him. He turned His life over to you. That's a blood covenant union. Number two, the blood covenant is our contact with God. If I would have gone there and claimed certain rights and benefits, I would have gone by the authority of my contract. The union contract that I have with the company. Number three. The blood covenant is the underlying principle upon which the New Testament is based. 
or upon which it stands. It is the underlying principle upon which it stands. Number four, the blood covenant, the New Testament, is the last will and testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me stop there for a minute. It's our last, it's his last will and testament. Someone wants to know what the will of the Lord is. Well, did you ever have somebody in your family who maybe had a little bit of money or wealth and they died and in their last will and testament, they left you a certain amount of money or a certain piece of property or a building or an automobile or just something, anything. They left you something. Well, if they did and you found out that you were the beneficiary of a certain individual's will and you were left, let's say, $5,000. Well, are you going to walk up to somebody and say, well, do you think it was his will to leave this for me? Well, if it wasn't his will, he wouldn't have put it in his will. That's why it's called his will. Amen? Most Christians are walking around, they want to know, is it the will of God that I be delivered? Well, go to the contract and find out. See, this Bible should be studied in the same light. As an individual's last will and testament. This is the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, this testament does not go into force until the testator dies. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. And once the testator dies, then the will and testament is enforced. Now, so long as uh, that individual was alive, you couldn't get your $5,000 because he didn't die yet. It was his will to leave it to you and for you. And after his death or her death, then, of course, you would get it. You'd have to go through some red tape, but you'd get it. Verse 15. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of, in, of eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9:15. Eternal inheritance. Look at verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So, as long as Jesus was alive, the New Testament was not in force. It had no strength. But once the Lord Jesus Christ died, he left us his last will and testament. Meaning his will is incorporated in this New Testament. The books we call the New Testament. The Gospels right on through the book of Revelation. We have the revealed will of the Lord Jesus Christ left to us. And it says he has left us an in eternal inheritance. We have an inheritance. But what is that inheritance? I'll just give you one thing. I'll just give you one thing. He left you and left me. And I guarantee you, if you have a revelation of this one thing that he's left you, it will put you over in every area of life. He left you his name. Well, is it, is it his will that I use his name? He left it to you in his last will and testament. He said, Go ye in my name. And in my name these signs shall follow. Cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If you drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt you. Lay your hands on the sick, they shall recover. How? In my name. So he gave us his name. 
as I looked over to another article in my contract in the book of Philippians, I found out that every realm, in every realm, every creature must bow to that name legally. Do you get that? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things, beings in heaven, things, beings in earth, things, beings underneath the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then who's got the right to use that name? I want you to notice, it's at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. At whose name? Who uses that name? You'll never watch Jesus walk over to a devil and say, in the name of Jesus. Would you? You never watch Jesus walk over to someone who's sick and say, in the name of Jesus. Will you? What's he going to say in the name of Jesus for? He is Jesus. If it was Jesus, don't he say, come out. That's all. Thou unclean spirit. He watched him do it. And when he walked on the earth, I never heard him say, come out in my name. He said, come out. Then who's the name given to? We're the beneficiaries. Hallelujah. He's given us his name. For what purpose? Every knee shall bow. Then he has sin, sickness, and disease, and sorrow, and anguish, and poverty, and fear, and worry, and confusion, and doubt. All of it's got to bow to the name that's been given you, legally, as an inheritance. Hallelujah. That puts it on legal ground, doesn't it? So who do you leave it for? You and me. Amen. Well, that's how we should study the New Testament. That way. That's how we should study it. Now, I can go on and on, but I don't want to do that because we've got too much to get into. But that's how we should study the New Testament. As the last will and testament of the Lord. And it's in full strength because he died. Okay? It is the basis upon which every prayer is answered. The blood covenant. It is the basis. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and receive grace to help in the time of need. How do I come boldly to the throne of grace? How do I come boldly to the throne of grace to get my prayer answered? He said to, to you in Hebrews 10, verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in by the blood of Jesus. That's the blood covenant. See, you, when you walk in that corporation head's office, you walk in there with your book. And you say, Sir, I'm sorry. I demand my rights. You sign this here, it's your will. You must honor it. He says, you're right. You're right. I did. See, if the corporation didn't want to give those benefits, they would have never signed a contract. But they signed a contract. Some, I said, you know, they got to get a mediator to get between the labor union and management just to get them together. You know. Well, Jesus is our mediator, isn't he? He's a mediator of a better covenant established upon better promises. And we'll see that in a minute. But lastly, and this is so important, the blood covenant is the basis for the integrity of the word. It is the basis for the integrity of God's word. If I just knew that God would honor his word in my behalf, then I'd be strong in faith. If I just knew that God was going to do what He said He was going to do in His Word, 
then I'd be strong in faith. I remember one individual telling me as I was talking to him along these lines and I was saying something about, you know, it's God's will that we be healed. And he said to me, he gave me a little example. He says, you mean to tell, you, tell me if your daughter was lying over here sick and dying that all you would do is open up your Bible to 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 and say, with his stripes ye were healed and say, thank you, Lord. And you mean you expect God to have to heal that little body? I said, yes, sir, I believe that said, do you mean, how can you say that? I said, because he said it in his word. Well, how do you know it's his will? I said, because he said it in his word. And if he doesn't do it, he lied. And God's not a liar. Well, are you sure about that? I know it. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people on the earth you can't trust. There's a lot of people on the earth that lie to you. But whenever the Father himself begins to lie, you might as well throw the book away. It's of no value. Paul said, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die, and that's it. But no, the God of all the universe can't lie. And what he said, and sealed and signed by the blood of Jesus, in his word, is his guarantee that his life stands behind the covenant. And if you come on the authority of the covenant... That's your basis for the integrity of God's word must be true. And would you believe on the way home my daughter got sick? Remember, honey? Never forget it. I didn't even equate the two, put the two together. But on the way home, see, we're telling this fellow that Jesus is the healer. She got sick and she was lying down on our bed and burning up of a fever. I mean, you could have fried an egg on her head. You could have fried an egg right on her head. Burning up of a fever. I looked at her. She looked at me. I said, what do you want to do? She said, Jesus is closer than any doctor or any medical field. I said, I was waiting for you to say that because that's what I wanted to do. And we let her hands on her forehead and begin to pray with other tongues. Thank God for other tongues. And in a space of about one minute, she went from whatever she was. We didn't take her temperature. We walked by faith, not by sight. But I mean to tell you, she went from burning hot and right beneath our hands, she went to cool. Jumped up off the couch, ran outside and played the rest of the day. Well, that's what the Word says. That's what the Word says. And I can just remember telling that fellow, he has to do it. How can you talk like that about God? How can you talk like that about your company? Why do they have to honor the covenant? Why do they have to pay you the paycheck? Wouldn't you like it? Now, I don't know too many would. But you went to work and for, the, for about a month you didn't have a paycheck. And finally, you know, something's wrong here. You say, well, now listen, I, I agreed to work for such and such a, an amount an hour. And I haven't received a paycheck in the last month. Oh, we just didn't want to pay you this month. Huh? What would you do? I guarantee you, you'd find your shop stored in a hurry. You'd find your union representative as quick as you could. Or you'd get out your little contract book and say, I demand you to pay me. Well, why? You signed this contract. You signed that agreement. And you said you'd pay me so much an hour. I've worked for you. And now you have to pay. You have to do what you said you'd do. And legally, that's true. Now, we don't go to Father with arrogance. And we don't make demands of the Father. We got it backwards. You make your demands of the devil. 
You make your demands of the adversary. You make your demands of the opponent. And the Father hears your voice and honors His Word. Do you see that? And it has to come. You say, fever? Leave that body in the name of Jesus. And the fever looks around. He says, uh-oh. Here comes the reinforcements. Power of God start to flow right through that body. He said, let's get out, boys. Let's find someone else. I know it's not funny, but you see, sometimes we have to see the truth that way. That's the truth. Until we understand what I'm talking about, we're not going to have a strong life of faith. You have to know that God honors that covenant and that word that you speak. If He's not going to honor His word, we're lost. Faith cannot be exercised where the revealed will of God is not known. You can only hope. You cannot exercise faith. Do you see that? You can't exercise faith where the revealed will of God is not known. You have to know it's His will, and then you have to know that He will carry out His will. Now, I want to show you how you could know that. If you'll turn with me, you're in Hebrews now. Turn back to 7, chapter 7, and verse 22. This is a strong statement, but I'm going to make it nonetheless. To have strong faith, you have to know the will of God. And we also have to know that God's life backs up every word of the covenant. And if he violates the blood covenant or the blood contract, then he is guilty and must suffer the consequences of the violation or the violating of that covenant. Now, the consequences of violating a blood covenant is death. How many of you know that? If your corporation decided not to honor the contract, you wouldn't kill them. But legally, you can do something about it. The reason why you couldn't take his life is because it's not a blood covenant. It's just a contract. Now, I explained that to you last week in the marital relationship. That's why under the old covenant, if someone committed adultery, they were stoned to death. You say that was harsh. It was violation of a blood covenant. Marriage relationship is sealed with blood. And so consequently, if they violate that covenant, they have to die. They stone him to death. Now, here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, by so much was Jesus made the surety of a better testament. It doesn't say his money. It doesn't say his assets, his talents or abilities. Who is the surety? Who is the guarantee? The word surety means guarantee. Who is the guarantee of the new covenant? Jesus himself. His life stands behind the covenant. Meaning, if he were to violate that covenant through a lie... His life would have to be taken. I've got some great news for you. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. That means he's not going to die anymore. Right? That means he's not going to break the covenant. Hallelujah. See, we got inside information. He says, I'm alive forevermore. I'm not going to break the covenant. 
So you know, Jesus, as a guarantee of the covenant, his life, he can't die, he won't die, he won't lie. If he said it, he says, I'll make it good. So obviously, the covenant is full of strength. I can count on his word and its integrity because his life stands behind as a guarantee of that, of that covenant. You know, when you go out and buy something, you buy an automobile, you buy an appliance or something like that, don't you get a guarantee? Who stands behind the guarantee? The reputation of either the place you bought the car or another organization who guarantees the appliance or whatever. And the guarantee they give you is legal binding. They have to honor that guarantee. But of course, they hire some very shrewd people, mediators, to put in some very fine print so that you don't know that it says, yes, we'll take care of your car so long as you don't drive it more than five miles. You say, where was that? Fine print. You didn't see it. <laughs> that wouldn't be so funny if it wasn't so pathetic. You can spend all kind of money on things and their guarantees just aren't that good, are they? Not that great. Well, Jesus is the guarantee of your contract. He's not going to die. He's going to back it up by his life. But look at Hebrews chapter 6. We know that about Jesus. But I want to show you something about the Father. Here's something that we've missed out on. The Father. The Father is the guarantee also. You also have His word for it. Chapter 6, verse 12. How do I know that the Father is not going to lie to me? He said, if I lay my hands on the sick, they shall recover. He said to me in His word... Whosoever will come, let him come. I'll not turn him away. Let's start right there. I will not turn that individual away if he'll come to me. That's what he said in his word. If he didn't want that in his word, he wouldn't have put it there. If he didn't want that in the contract, he wouldn't have signed the contract with that scripture in there. But he wanted it there. He said, I'm not willing to per any perish. And he says, I want everyone to come to me. And anyone that comes, I'll not turn them away. He put that in as part of the agreement. That's what he said. How do I know that the vilest sinner, I mean the, the vilest human being upon the face of this earth that you could think of, how do I know that if that person so ungodly, I mean so vile, just, you know, just, you can't even think of words because of how rotten this person's life is. I mean, a, a child molester and killer and, and murderer and robber. And, I mean, just, you just think about the worst type of person upon the face of this earth. How do I know what guarantee does that person have that if he comes to Jesus, that the Father will take him in and save him? You ever think about that? We accept it so readily. Why does the Father save him? I'll tell you what, I'm glad a lot of church people is not judging me. Because many wouldn't get saved. Why? You mean to tell me God saved that old killer? Yes, he did. Why did he do it? Because he had to. You see, when Jesus negotiated the contract, he says, all that will come, let him come. See, God couldn't pick out you and say, yeah, you, oh, you're terrible. I'm not going to save you. You, you go over there. He couldn't say that one. Oh, you're a child beater. I'm not going to save you. No. You, you're a thief. A rapist and a robber. No way. I'm not going to save you. God couldn't say that. When he looked down to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and he hated it, he didn't want to destroy it, but he had to because there wasn't a, you know, 
righteous person, more than ten of them. The intercessors stopped short, I believe. But there weren't enough righteous individuals there for the deliverance of that land. He saw all that sin. And so he had to destroy it. But we got a better covenant established upon better promises. I guarantee you, it doesn't matter how ugly a person lives upon the face of this earth, if they'll come to the Father, in the name of Jesus, the Father will save him, and that person will be cleansed by the blood by legal action. I mean legal action. That person will be washed in the blood. And here's why. Look at verse 12. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath of, for confirmation rather, is to them an end of all strife. Wherein, and underline this, highlight this in your Bible, it is going to set you free tonight. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Anybody here an heir of God? A joint heir with Jesus? Anybody here an heir of promise? The Father, willing more abundantly to show to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. What's immutability? Unchangeability. Not capable or susceptible of change. God, more willing, willing more abundantly to show to you and me the heirs of promise, more abundantly than what? More than he showed Abraham. To show you and me his unchangeability, that he's, his word or covenant is not capable or susceptible to change, God did this. Now, his counsel, stop there, the immutability of his, circle the word counsel. That's his volition. That is his will in reality. If you want a better rendering of that Greek word, it is will. God, willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the unchangeableness of His will, confirmed it. Confirmed it. Now, again, underline the word confirmed. If you look up that word, you'll find out that the word means to remove all doubt by an authoritative act or an indisputable fact. To remove all doubt by an authoritative act or an indisputable fact. God was so much more willing to show more abundantly to us, the heirs of promise, the unchangeableness or unchangeability of His will, confirmed it, removed all doubt from you and me. See, faith is not, well, do I have enough faith? Do I have enough faith? No, remove the doubt. How do I remove the doubt? How is God going to get us to remove the doubt? He says, by doing it like this. I'm going to perform an authoritative act, an indisputable fact, 
to prove to you that my will is not going to change and what I wrote in my word, I've spoken in my word, is my revealed will and it will not change. He did it by two things. He swore by an oath by himself. And God cannot lie. Sealing it by the blood of Jesus. Now, what he's saying is this. Look at verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Number one, he swore by an oath. Number two, it's impossible for God to lie. And also he sealed it by the blood of Jesus. Now, look look at the next part. We might have. We might have. We might have a strong consolation, encouragement, or faith. See, the only way you're going to have strong faith is by removing the doubt, by knowing that God performed an authoritative act, an indisputable fact, when He entered into the blood covenant with the human race, He performed an act. It's indisputable. He is in blood covenant with the human race and he cannot lie. He can't change the will he has revealed. That's why he did not write up the articles of this contract or covenant overnight. He sat down with the Lord Jesus and together they planted out from the foundations of the world every detail of the plan of redemption and specifically put everything they wanted in to meet their specifications to see to it that all that was written was his divine will for our lives. And so in this New Testament, and by the act he performed, we, he said, have a strong faith or a strong encouragement. For what purpose, Lord? Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. To what? To lay hold. Remember Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold. See, by faith. Notice it says hope here. To lay hold upon the hope. How do you lay hold upon hope? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, hoped for, hoped for. Now, with this understanding, he says, the things you hope for, you now can have by faith. They can materialize by faith. Because faith is the substance of your hope for the evidence of the unseen. Lay hold of the hope upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast. Notice this foundation. Sure, steadfast, unshakable, immovable. And which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Jesus is right there. Representing us, making it good. Now you know the Father can't lie or die either. And now you know the act he performed in entering into blood union covenant with us, the human race. What he actually does, he establishes his will. He establishes every word as his will. Now, as mediator, let's put it this way, Jesus, as mediator, represented the human race. And when he negotiated the contract or the covenant, He put some things in there that he knew we would need 
after he left because we would still be in mortal bodies. And so when he negotiated the contract with the father, he said, Father, I want them to have certain benefits. Certain benefits. Now, you've quoted this scripture many times and so have I, but I want you to see this scripture more than just a beautiful psalm that was written by David. But I want you to see it as part of your covenant agreement with the Father. In Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, it says, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all His what? Those benefits were negotiated by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were talked over between the Father and Himself. They sat down, and the Father said, Yes, yes, I'll forgive all their iniquities. Yes, I'll heal all their diseases. Yes, I'll redeem their life from destruction. Yes, I'll crown them with loving kindness and tender mercies. Yes. Bless God, I'll give them good things to speak out of their mouth that their youth may be renewed like the eagles. That's what I'll do for them. As far as the east is from the west, I'll remove their sins and their transgressions from them. Yes, that's what I want to do. Sign and seal. Oh, glory. Not if he will. Signed, sealed by the blood of Jesus. Accepted by the Father God. Who cannot lie. If the Father didn't want you to have that, he would have never wrote that article in the contract, in the covenant. He never would have put it there. But he did. Hallelujah. So where it says benefits, those are your benefits. Brethren, you have benefits where you work. And if the company didn't want you to have them, they wouldn't be there on your contract. How many of you know now you've got benefits with the Lord? Hallelujah. Bless His holy name and don't forget His benefits. Hallelujah. Oh, it's just thrilling, isn't it? Something else I like that Jesus negotiated right before He left. Just talking to His disciples, you know, then... He says, I'm not going to talk with you no more because I want to talk to the Father and I want to just finalize the negotiations. And he said, Father, I'm not asking you to remove them out of the world, but I ask that you protect them from loss, harm, damage, or injury by keeping your eyes on them. And you know what the Father said? My eyes will run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show myself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are upright towards me. He said, yes. John 17, 15, he said, yes. That's in your contract. That's in my contract. See, he has to honor it because the Father will not lie. Now, since, and I, I always get this question asked, but let's, let's deal with it right now. Since we talk so boldly, and I believe we should be bold. You know, they even talked about Jesus says, Whence hath this man this wisdom? He speaks with authority, not as the scribes. In other words, he speaks like as though, well, he's saying he knows, he's talking about the truth. My brothers and sisters, if we can't be true with God's word, we can't be true with anything. And if God's word's not based on legal grounds, then I don't know what is because... All form of life came from him. Any type of agreement came from him. He says, swear not by the heavens or the earth, but he swore by himself because he knows that he can keep it. But you're always going to come across this kind of teaching. Well, since you say that God's got to honor his word or honor his contract, see, we can say that about the corporation. Everybody believes it. Everybody believes it. I guarantee you, you find out that someone, if, if they don't honor it, they'll go get a lawyer and they'll take a legal contract agreement and show them and that lawyer will say yep you've got legal grounds to stand on we'll go get it we'll fight for it and they'll fight to get what is rightfully theirs am I correct? well how about us with the father? we have a legal contract 
a legal agreement. And when we say that God has bound himself by his word, he's bound to his word, and when God says he's going to do something, he has to do it. He has to, so he doesn't violate the covenant. Some people say, you're taking away the sovereignty of God. No, on the contrary. God, who is a sovereign God, chose as an act of his own will, who was, more, who was willing, God who was willing more abundantly, see, as an act of his will, he was willing more abundantly to show us the immutability of his counsel as an act of his own will and in his own sovereignty, God the Father chose to enter into a blood covenant relationship with the human race, and that's why he carefully, skillfully planned out and designed every word of the New Testament. Now, listen to the word of the Father as I give you these scriptures in harmony with what I'm saying to you. God, in His sovereignty, chose willingly to bind Himself to His word, which is His revealed will to us. And if He did not want to do what He said, He would not have said it. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should repent. If God said it, he will do it. If I've spoken, I will make it good. That tells me that if God didn't want to do it, he shouldn't have said it. If he wasn't going to make it good, he shouldn't have spoken. True? Absolutely. How about Psalm 138 and verse 2? It says, I have magnified my word above my name. How about Psalm 118, 89? Forever my word is settled or established in heaven. How about Isaiah 55 and verse 11? So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. How about Psalm 107 and verse 20? He sent his word and it healed them. Do you see it? It's all there. How about Jeremiah 1.12? I watch over my word to perform it. And how about Matthew 25 and 34? or 24 and 35, rather. He says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will not pass away. My words are spirit and life, and my word will not pass away. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what this blood covenant means? God's words are sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. Do you think he would give you a sword with that much power? An ability? Without willfully, carefully, skillfully designing the new creation? The plan of redemption? The heart of the believer? giving them His Word to handle, to use, that's so powerful and effective? 
He upholdeth all things by the what? Word of his power. Do you think he'd do that? And bind himself to honoring that word? Unless he knew that us as individuals would comply to the law of love and use the truth in love? He wouldn't do that. So you see, God would not have spoken just as those corporation heads would not have spoken and said, yes, we agree to this contract. And the Father wouldn't have done it. If he didn't want you healed, he'd have said no. He wouldn't have said, with the stripes you were healed. If he didn't want you delivered, he wouldn't have said, I delivered you out of the authority of darkness. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He wouldn't have said that. Can you see this? Can you see how important this is? Can you see how it removes the doubt? I want to give you one more thing before we close because we're running out of time. This is so important. The, I gave you a definition of, of covenant before, being a legal contract or agreement between two parties in which all the assets, talents, liabilities, and debts are mutually held, or a legal union or agreement of unity containing certain carefully defined promises, pledges, benefits. But in the Greek, and this will bless you, in the Greek, the word that's used there for covenant is diathekes, and it means an unequal covenant. Unequal in a sense that one party does all the giving and the other party does all the receiving. God does all the giving because he has everything to give, and the believer or the individual does all the receiving. He enters into a covenant relationship with the human race. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus said, if I don't go, the Holy Ghost won't come. But if I go, the Holy Ghost, the Father will give him to you. How shall I not freely give us all things? Every good gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Notice he's always giving. Do you see that? Now, believers today are always saying, Boy, I wish God would heal my body. I wish God would, would help me in my finances. Now, listen. You'll get something here. You'll get the truth. One side does all the giving. One side does all the receiving. It's an unequal covenant. God has already done all the giving He's going to do. And you'll never hear someone saying, Has God saved you? No. You'll say, Have you received Jesus Christ? Have you what? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? No. You never have to say, well, God give him. No, you never have to say that. Will God ever give Jesus Christ a Savior? He's already done that. Have you received? If someone dies and goes to hell, it will be their own fault for not receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. Is that correct? All right. Paul, going to the upper coast at Ephesus, said, when he saw certain disciples that he thought were disciples, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Not, did God give you the Holy Ghost? No. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? It's not getting God to give, my brothers and sisters. It's us receiving. Have I received Jesus? Have I received the Holy Ghost? Now listen to this carefully. Have you received your healing? When are you going to heal me, Father? Have you received your healing? 
What things soever you desire when you pray, believe you, receive them, and ye shall what? Does it say, believe God will give it to you? <clears throat> Do you see that? What things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive, receive them, and ye shall have them. Believe you receive your healing first, then ye shall have it. And then after you get it, freely you have received, freely. Such as I have, give I thee. Oh, glory. What did Peter have? Jesus. I received him freely, I give him to you freely. I receive healing, I give healing freely to you. Do you see that? Unequal covenant. He does all the giving, you do the receiving. It's never will God do something for you, my brothers and sisters. It's have you received. All things are possible to him that believe if he receive it. Time flies when you're having fun. Praise God. We'll have to close it right there. We got a little bit far. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.